One of those uncomfortable situations in life for a young man is when you have to go and ask what you are hoping is going to be your future father-in-law for permission to ask his daughter to marry you. Uh, someone told me one time that they got so nervous about doing this that they actually wrote down what they wanted to say on three-by-five cards and called him on the phone, okay, uh, in order to, to go through this. Now, I can't really make fun of anybody because 20 years ago this Christmas, uh, I was planning to, to ask Susan to marry me on Christmas Eve, and I needed to ask her dad first. And I'd had an opportunity about two weeks before it was just me and him, and I think her mom was there too, Susan wasn't around, and I chickened out. Like, asking her was easy in my mind. Asking him, he's retired, uh, he's a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and it was just kind of this, like, I don't know, this is just kind of awkward for me. And so I didn't do it. Well, I'm planning to ask her Christmas Eve, well, midnight of Christmas morning, and it's Christmas Eve, and I still haven't asked her dad. And so the clock's kind of, this is how I do things, right? So, the, so y'all, none of y'all are surprised at this. So the, the, the clock's kind of ticking on this, uh, and Susan and her whole family's downstairs, and her dad goes up to go to bed. And I still, I still have to ask him. And so he's in there, like he's in the bed in his boxers reading, okay? And I'm like pacing in the hall, and finally I go into his, I go into his room, and I, you know, I give my little speech, you know, Mr. Bryant, your daughter's wonderful, I want to I marry her. And he looks at me and he says, could you say that again? I already took my hearing aids out. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to be quiet because there are people downstairs, you know, and so I go through the, I go through the whole thing again, and, and, and he says yes, and, and you guys know the rest. But it was just one of those incredibly uncomfortable situations. Very, probably more so for him, um, but, a, but a, very, a very uncomfortable situation to be in. We all have been in those kind of uncomfortable situations in life, and we can think of funny uncomfortable situations and then not so funny uncomfortable situations that we've been in. Um, if I right now were to, to pick one of you out and say, listen, just on a spur of a moment, I want you to come up front and I want to share with everybody the sin that you're most ashamed of. Okay, so like we, wouldn't, like we wouldn't be laughing anymore, right? That, that, that becomes hard, uncomfortable situation. Or maybe it's things that aren't so hard, but it's just social situations. Maybe you're uncomfortable meeting new people. Maybe you're uncomfortable with, with people of different cultures. Maybe you're uncomfortable with, with people who kind of look at the world differently from you, and you just kind of like that. It's hard to connect with them, and that's uncomfortable. Maybe it's conflict. That makes us all uncomfortable. Maybe you're uncomfortable with your past. There are all these things that make us uncomfortable. But the reality of life is, is that life, when we kind of step back and look at it honestly, life is inherently uncomfortable. There, there is this inherent discomfort to life as we know it. Because even when we have like those stretches, when everything is great, when we won the state championship, when everything is like, yeah, we know that the discomfort is, is right around the corner again. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 40 today, which begins with God saying, comfort my people. Comfort my people, says your God, because we all need to hear these words of comfort. Uh, so if you will look with me, Isaiah 40, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, on Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let me pray for us. Father, this is your word and it is an amazing word and it does speak to us words of, of comfort. Uh, I pray today that you would help us to see why we so much need these words of comfort and that you'd help us to hear them and receive them and rest in them. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's what I want to do with this. I want to talk about why life is so uncomfortable and then what we try to do to, to cope with that discomfort. And then finally, we're going to talk about where our real source of comfort comes from. So first of all, uh, why is life uncomfortable? Now, you need to understand in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, Isaiah is writing words prophetically that are intended to be read almost at least 100 years after the fact. They're, they're intended to be read once God's people are in exile in Babylon. Now, why are they going to find themselves in exile, taken from their own country, and displaced to this other country? Well, if you read the Old Testament, you see that they've spent years ignoring God, disobeying God, doing their own thing, putting their trust in things other than God. And God had warned them, look, if you turn away from me, if you turn to other gods that are not really gods, this is going to be the result. You, you will be sent into exile into a foreign country. And this is finally what happens. And they're hauled off into exile in Babylon. And Isaiah is writing to them to say to them, look, once you're there, it's going to be very discouraging, but you need to, 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 to have hope that, that God has not abandoned you. He's not going to leave you there. Even when you're in exile, you can know that God is eventually going to bring you home. So take comfort in that fact. But notice here in these verses, verse 1 and 2, you can see that the reason, again, that they're in Babylon, the reason they're separated from God, the reason they're discouraged, the reason they're uncomfortable is their sin. It's what, it's what they've done. And that really is the consistent message of the Bible from, from the front of the Bible to the, to the back of the Bible, is that there is a just and holy God who can't just turn a blind eye to sin. He can't just look at our sin and say, oh, that's okay, just run and play, don't worry about it. 
because of his character, because of who he is, he has to punish sin in order to remain a just God. And you know, whether you're four or whether you're 44, whether, whether your parents have just punished you, whether you're getting the cold shoulder from a friend that you've uh, sinned against in some way, whether you've been fined some large amount of money of the government, whatever it is, punishment for sin is always uncomfortable. Living with the consequences of our sins, even when there's not like a get caught moment, but even living with the consequences of our sin is uncomfortable for us. But, but here's the thing. While our specific sins may bring specific consequences into our lives which are not comfortable, there's also this, this underlying discomfort in the world that never really leaves, right? Because even as we're excited and celebrating Christmas and even as things are going well, there are people being murdered, uh, there, are, there are riots, there are spouses who are unfaithful to their, to their spouses, there are Christmas gifts being stolen, uh, there, there, are, there are children who are being abused, there, there are bad things happening in the world. And the reason for all of this is not simply that people aren't educated enough. It's not simply that people are in poverty and are not wealthy enough. The reason for all of this is that the world is broken because of sin. This brokenness to the, in the world has a cause. And you can go back in the early chapters of Genesis really map this out in man's rebellion against God that brings us under his wrath and curse. It leaves the world in this broken condition. Uh, the world isn't comfortable, and it's never going to be comfortable unless something is done about that sin and that brokenness. So it's uncomfortable because of sin. We all know it's uncomfortable, even if we know that's not the cause. We know it's uncomfortable. What do we try to do to to remove the discomfort. What are some of the things we try to do to, to, to escape the discomfort? We try to dodge it. We try to get away from it. We try to put it off. And sometimes we can be kind of successful for long stretches of time, right? You have a good stretch and hey, everything seems good. Eventually it comes back around. Uh, Andre Agassi, uh, some of you remember tennis legend Andre Agassi, um, confessed as a few years ago that at one point during his career he had actually started using crystal meth uh, and this is not a breaking bad story uh, but 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 Andre Agassi confessed that he had started using he had started using crystal meth uh, and and the interviewer asked him like what why did you start doing that and he said well I was number one in the world and I dropped to a number to number 150 in the world I was depressed. I needed an escape. And so he started using crystal meth. Uh, he had built his entire identity on being number one. That was what gave him comfort in a broken world. And when that source of comfort was removed from him, he tried to find a new place, a new source of comfort. And somebody walked up to him and said, here, try this. This will make you comfortable. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll try that. Here's, here's crystal meth. Here's your... Here's your comfort. And so here's my question for you to think about this morning. What's, what are you 
what are you doing to try to avoid the discomfort? To try to, to dodge the, the discomfort of a broken world? Or what do you do when the thing you've been turning to quits working? What's your crystal meth, right? Uh, here's what I mean. If, if home is just like chaos right now, just too stressful, are you, is your crystal meth work? Are you, are you hiding out at work to avoid coming home? Uh, when, when Susan and I were in doing campus ministry, we had three kids under, they were all under three and a half at that time. All right, and two were in diapers, and you can imagine that's kind of chaotic. Um, and she said she would see me, I would come home and I would sit in the car, and, and she claims, and I don't know if I agree, but she claims that I would sit in the car for a long period of time and I had this look on my face like I was trying to decide whether to actually come in or not. Uh, or just to back out of the driveway and go back to work. All right? Uh, are, are, you, are you hiding out at work to avoid the discomfort of home? Um, do you find comfort when you're in a bad mood and taking out that bad mood on others? you find comfort in alcohol? Uh, comfort in websites where you know you shouldn't be, you know you shouldn't be visiting comfort in food and bowl after bowl after bowl of whatever kind of ice cream you like comfort in buying the next thing uh, comfort in the fact that we say merry christmas and we know the reason for the season and we're better than all those people who don't even as we're cussing under our breath at the line at Walmart, right? And we're mad, we're mad at everything going on at Walmart, but at least we know the reason for the season. Uh, the, the reality is that, that what can happen is all of these things that we look to for comfort, instead of looking to God for our comfort, the more we turn to those things, the more they actually become gods to us. Uh, and the more they become gods to us, the more they shape our lives. And they don't comfort us. They actually begin to enslave us. They don't serve us. We serve them. And so we find ourselves in this wasteland of our own making where we're actually more uncomfortable than we were to start with, right? We've run here looking for comfort and we found more discomfort. If you were to go back and read the early chapters, say the first 10 or so chapters of Isaiah, this is exactly what's happening in the lives of the people of Israel. Uh, they sought comfort in alcohol, and they became drunks. They sought comfort in controlling the situation for their own good, and so they resorted to extortion and to bribery. They, they found comfort in all the wrong places. They sought comfort in all the wrong places, and it made their lives and the life of their country as a whole actually worse. In chapter 39, the king of Israel, King Hezekiah, tries to find comfort in making an alliance with Babylon. And Babylon is the one who eventually destroys his country. When we turn to things other than God for our comfort, eventually we wind up even more uncomfortable. And so where I'd encourage you to kind of do some, some self-examination is, where am I really going for comfort? I mean, we're all uncomfortable. It's a broken world, right? None of us are kind of like, woo! Um, we're all uncomfortable. Where are you going to find your comfort? Uh, third thing, well, where do we find true comfort? Where do we find true comfort? Uh, we find comfort, first of all, in knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Look at, look at the text, verse 1 and 2. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God knows that the first thing his people in exile need to hear is that their sins have been forgiven. That they know they've been sent there to be punished and they've got to think, God, has God just abandoned us? Is he going to have any use for us? Has our sin ultimately and finally come between us and God? And they are hearing these words from the prophet. Look, you need to know that, that your sin has been atoned for. The time of discipline will have an end. My full intention is to once again shower you with my love and rejoice over you. Has anybody here ever tried to, to live very long with the, the guilt of unconfessed sin? Uh, that's not a lot of, nobody wants to stand up and share that. That's, that's uh, yeah, um, that's not a lot of fun. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you're living with that experience right now. It, it, it creates a barrier, doesn't it? Between you and the person that you've, that you've sinned against. And what you long to do, what you hope for, is that when you finally confess, you long to hear words of forgiveness and acceptance. You long to see that relationship restored because you know that until you hear those words of forgiveness and restoration, that sin is going to remain on you. And you're going to be living under that burden, whether it's a spoken burden or not. And that relationship is going to remain broken. It's kind of like being in exile being exiled from this person you've sinned against. And you can't move on, and you can't find joy, and you can't find comfort until you're welcomed back by the one you've sinned against. You and I, in our relationship with God, we can't move on, we can't find joy, we can't find comfort until we hear God saying, your sins have been forgiven. That's the, the first source of true comfort. Second place we find comfort is in knowing that God is coming to make all things right. Look at verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become, a level, shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. In the land of exile, far from home, God's people found hope and joy and comfort in knowing that God had not forgotten them, that he would bring them back to the land, that he would come to make all things right. Living in our world, in our fallen world, we find comfort that God is at work making all things right. That even now he is, he is making things right. He is forgiving sins. He is restoring relationships. He is healing broken family systems. And, and we rejoice to know that in, in the world to come, that there is this day coming when he's coming back to make all things new, when everything that's been broken will be put back together again. It's one of the things that one of my favorite hymns at Christmas is, is Joy to the World, where we conclude by singing, no, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That we, we find comfort in the fact that we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that God is coming back to make all things new. The third place we find comfort. We find comfort in seeing God's glory. 
And I'll, I'll just read verse 5 here. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. It's really all through this passage, though. Um, think about a baseball stadium. All right, it's, it's winter, so let's think of something springtime. Think about a baseball stadium, a, a new, beautiful, classic-looking baseball stadium uh, where the grass has just been cut. And you know how they mowed this way and then this way. And so you can see the... You can see the mown pattern in the grass, and you even get that, that grass cut smell maybe a little bit. Uh, and, and there are two great teams playing each other, and it's a sunny day, and the guys are selling beer and peanuts, and you, you, you've skipped work, and you're just, you're just there for the afternoon taking in the game. And that's just, that's glory, right? That's a, that's a glorious day. Now, now, think about that stadium some years later, and it's decaying. And there's kind of, you know, the concrete's breaking up and there's nobody there and there are weeds and, and, and bare spots on the field. It's kind of where Legion Field is heading, those of you who have, who have ever been to Birmingham. Um, the glory, though, has, has left, right? The glory was there, but now years later, the glory has gone. Whatever measure of glory you and I have in this life, it always, it always fades away. The, the best quarterback ever, what happens? He starts throwing interceptions. His body starts breaking down. The brilliant scientist who discovered whatever, uh, he, he can't remember his name anymore one day. The glory fades. The most, most wealthy man can't spend enough to keep death at bay any longer. Michael Jordan one day will no longer be able to dunk. I know none of us believe it, but that, the, the, day will, the day will come when the, when the, when the glory will fade. The text says the grass withers and the flower fades, but God's glory, God's beauty, God's majesty, that lasts forever. Our glory can't sustain us because our glory doesn't last. Our glory cannot sustain us because our glory does not last. But God's glory, God's beauty, God's majesty is something eternal, um, everlasting, and also life-giving to us. His glory, coming into contact with his glory, actually brings health to us. Uh, those of you who remember the line, the witch in the wardrobe, Lucy had that bottle of, of whatever it was, Mad Bull or something, I don't know, Red Dog, I don't know, whatever it was that Lucy had. You know, the, the, the little, the little um, what, what was it? The potion. And it, it, no matter how sick you were, if you had even a drop of that potion, it would bring health to your body again. That's the way God's glory works. That's what God's glory does. It brings health to us when we come into contact with it. And so when you're living in the midst of this fallen and broken world, when everything is messed up around you, it's not the glory of winning the big game that you need, as, as, as fun as that is. It's not the glory of a more understanding, a more attractive spouse. It's not the glory of an exciting career. It's not the glory of victory that we ultimately need. It's the glory of God breaking into the darkness and bringing us life, bringing the true comfort that our soul so desperately needs. Fourth thing, I just want a couple more of these. We find joy in having a shepherd that will lead us. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those 
better with young. When you're beaten down in life, you can find comfort in a tender shepherd who will patiently nurse you back to health, who leads you to a place of rest, who constantly reminds you that, that no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, that he loves you. And he speaks those tender words of love to you. Uh, a fifth place we find comfort, verse 10, is in knowing that we don't have to be strong. Verse 10 Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. You know, we so much want to be strong. We so much want to say that I can handle it and, and I've got it all together. But we can't really. This text gives us comfort and reminds us you don't have to be strong. You don't have to have it all together. Because there's someone who is strong for you in the Lord. And then finally, we find comfort in knowing there's a word that we can rely on. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In the midst of this world where we're hearing this voice and this voice and this voice and this voice, we have a, we have a voice of truth speaking to us consistently. Here's a, in the scripture, here's a word from above. A word from God, the word from God that does not change. And we can find comfort in knowing that we have that word in the Bible. Two or three years ago, I was in, in a McDonald's around Christmas with Emma, and we noticed that they had a nativity scene in the McDonald's. Uh, and, I, and I thought, wow, that's cool. McDonald's is going against all the political correct nonsense. They're not even Chick-fil-A, uh, and they've got, a, they've got a nativity scene in their store. Except there was a problem with this nativity scene. The, the baby Jesus was missing, okay? There was, there was no Jesus in the nativity scene in this McDonald's. Uh, and, and my first thought was, somebody stole Jesus. Like, somebody took baby Jesus from the nativity scene. Uh, and then I thought, well, maybe they're just trying to be kind of weirdly politically correct. And we're going to have a nativity scene but not put Jesus in it so we don't offend anybody. And then, I, and then I thought, well, maybe they just take the second commandment really seriously. Because I don't know, some, like, some people say that the second commandment, no graven images, means that we shouldn't try to make any representations of God in any form. And so maybe they're just they're really serious Christians. So we're not, gonna have a, we're not even going to have Jesus in the nativity scene. And I'm sitting like, why, why is there no Jesus here? And as I'm trying to figure this out, two people come out of the back and they start working on the nativity scene. I'm like, oh, it's not finished yet. Um, that's why there's, I kind of call them in, in mid-construction of the nativity scene. But, but the, 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 the reason that that scene didn't make any sense to me was why. It was that Jesus was missing from it. The reason the nativity didn't make any sense is that Jesus was missing from it. And I'm afraid that for, for many Christians, that our religion, sometimes our our Bible reading even, um, our, our church attendance, our worship activities, even our Christmas celebrations are like that nativity scene at McDonald's. It's a big religious display, but Jesus is missing from it. And because Jesus is missing from it, we have to go to other places to find comfort. 
Like we got the we got the picture, we got the nativity scene, we got the religion, but there's no Jesus in it. And because there's no Jesus in it, it's not really giving me any comfort, and I have to go somewhere else. <clears throat> excuse me to find comfort. You see, Isaiah 40 is partially fulfilled when God's people come back from exile. But the meaning is filled up. It's completed years later when Jesus was born. John the Baptist, as, as we've read this morning already, John the, John the Baptist applied this passage to himself and to Jesus when he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's what Isaiah said. And then John takes that passage from Isaiah and says, I'm the voice of one crying, make way straight the way, the path of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, here comes the Lord. Here comes God. Here comes Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one I'm preparing the way for here. And what's that mean for us? Talk about all those places that we find comfort, but here's the deal. Jesus is the one who forgives us. Jesus is the one who is coming to make things right. Jesus is the one who shows me God's glory. Jesus is the shepherd who will lead me. Jesus is the one who is strong. Jesus is the one who speaks words that I can trust. See, to, to know true, true comfort, I don't just need to know kind of like God generically. I need to know Jesus Christ and find all of these things that Isaiah points us to. I find all of them in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know him? How do I know him? Uh, in Matthew 3, John the Baptist tells his listeners Bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Here's what I think he might say to us. Repent, stop trying to find comfort in things that aren't God. Stop trying to find comfort in things that aren't God. And don't think that just because you celebrate Christmas when other people don't, don't think that just because you know the reason for the season that that makes you okay. Don't trust in your Christmas celebration, but instead trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, and then and only then will you know true peace and comfort and joy. The last thing, and I'm going to wrap up with this. What should we do once we receive this comfort? Look at verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold your God. What do you do when you've been wandering in the exile of sin in a fallen world uh, under this burden of your own sin, and the Son of God comes to you and says, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. I'm going to make your life new. I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to guide you with my word. What do you do when that happens? 
you celebrate. You shout in the street, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. The Son of God has actually become a man to fix everything that's broken about this world and everything that's broken about my life, and he can fix what's broken about your life as well. It's Christmas. When your team wins a state championship, you're excited about that. You stand up like Ryan Clary did, and you're like, yes, we won it. We, we celebrate those exciting things in our lives. When you get accepted into graduate school, you call people, you text people, you tell people that good news. When something good happens, what do we do? We want to talk about it, right? We want to, we want to tell people about it. We want to shout and proclaim the good news. That's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, shout it. Say it loud. Tell people the good news about Jesus. Here's what I think we do instead. We hear the good news. Our life changes. But then suddenly our life feels very different from the lives of people around us who are outside of Christ. And those relationships start to feel really awkward for many of us. Like we just don't look at the same at the world the same way as they do any longer. And so we we pull away from those relationships and we pull more and more into kind of the, the Christian holy huddle and we do our own thing here because that's it's uncomfortable out there and it's more comfortable here. And we pull into our families and our homes and our churches and we shout the good news back and forth to each other. And we wonder why more people aren't coming to know Christ. And at the same time as we pull into our little huddle, we're becoming more and more comfortable with our religion and we're forgetting how much we really need Jesus Christ ourselves because our comfort's not in Christ, it's in our religious observances. We forget how much we need Jesus and so to the world around us, we simply come across as self-righteous religious people instead of humble and broken yet happy people because we're finding our comfort in Jesus. Y'all, we've got good news, right? And we're going we're gonna to celebrate it today. We're singing Christmas hymns, and we're, we're happy about that, and, and, and we like doing these things. And we do want to encourage one another and make the good news of the gospel known to each other, but we want to shout it to Spartanburg as well. Let's make not just Christmas known this year. Let's make Jesus known. Let me pray for us. Father, we, um, we love everything that comes with Christmas, and, and we love uh, even you know, these Christmas-themed services. But we pray that we would not find our comfort simply in a holiday or in a, in a certain time of year, but that our comfort would come from the one that that time of year points us to. God, many of us know we, we confess uh, that we've been finding our comfort in the wrong places and the wrong things, and we pray for your help in letting go of those things and really grasping what it looks like to, to find comfort in you uh, and to know you and to know your love. And Father, we confess that we probably don't do a really good job of making this known. And we don't get as excited about it as we should. So we pray that you give us a holy excitement 
and amazement that you would come into the world and amazement that you would forgive our sins. Make it good news to us so that we can make it good news to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.